All right, welcome back to News from the Drug Warfront. It's four minutes after 11, and you're listening to 2XXFM 98.3 People Powered Radio. And just while I'm on the subject of 2XX, if you enjoy our show or any of the other 80 plus uh, original shows produced by volunteers each and every week on 2XX, do consider becoming a uh, supporter, financial supporter, or if you've got some spare hours, do some volunteer work, although the office is closed at the moment with the, the lockdown. But uh, 2XX is an important community resource and um, lots of shows like ours um, aren't heard on mainstream media. So community radio plays a really important um, uh, role in getting other positions and stories and perspectives and uh, communities that aren't uh, covered by the mainstream media. Look, I might play a song because Marianne is still having a cigarette and this is a request from Damien. So shout out to you, Damien. Uh, it's Eminem and Sing for the Moment. All right, that was the great Eminem and Sing for the Moment and uh, request from Damien, so I hope you enjoyed it. Okay, we've got a piece uh, by Lucy Carroll from The Age, October the 6th, which I think is really important for people that remember uh, the Berejiklian when she was still Premier uh, Government. Um, you have to have a really short memory to not remember well, that as Berejiklian. Um, but she... You know, announced an ICE inquiry uh, at great expense. And like multiple, I mean, you know, how many inquiries have been announced and requested and conducted and then number of recommendations yep. provided and, and ignored, ignored, roundly ignored. That every, When in doubt, conduct an inquiry and ignore the bloody thing. Well, it drives me crazy. I think that's the gist of this piece by Lucy Carroll. Yeah. Australia's peak medical groups have warned that the New South Wales government's failure to respond to the state's ICE inquiry will have catastrophic consequences as drug and alcohol treatment services struggle to cope with surging demand in the wake of the pandemic. In May, the commissioner who led the inquiry, Professor Dan Howard, SC, accused the state government of missing a pivotal opportunity for significant drug reform and ignoring the 109 recommendations which were handed down more than 18 months ago. Mm. Earlier this year, the state government said it would formally respond to recommendations by mid-year, with new information provided to Parliament revealing the cost of the inquiry exceeding $10.8 million. But an alliance of medical bodies, including the Royal Australasian College of Physicians, the Royal Australasian College of General Practitioners, Australian Medical Association New South Wales and the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists say that long-term drug policy failures and delays in responding are costing lives and damaging communities. Quote, COVID-19 has made dealing with addiction issues even more urgent with evidence of increasing use of alcohol and other drugs in the community. However, treatment services remain significantly underfunded and are estimated to only meet the needs of fewer than half those who are seeking help the group said in a statement. We're calling on the state government to urgently respond to the recommendations, develop a whole-of-government alcohol drug policy and drug action plan, and significantly increase the funding of alcohol and drug services and ensure that personal addiction issues are treated as health and social issues, not as criminal ones. That's a good quote. Mm. President of the Australasian Chapter of Addiction Medicine, Professor Nick Linzira, said a proliferation of drug use has arisen during lockdowns in part, quote, due to increasing anxiety, depression and disruption and changes to employment. We're seeing problematic substance use across demographics and changes to patterns of use. After the first wave in 2020, there was a big bump in demand for services, Professor Linzira said. During the Delta outbreak, we've seen residential rehab services shut their doors or cut intake. 
Drug and alcohol treatment provided through hospitals, GPs and community clinics have been redirected towards COVID-19 responses. Many of the inpatient withdrawal facilities in hospitals have been scaled back, and this comes at a time when we see an increase in demand as an after-effect of lockdown. Professor Lindsay said while the government had been proactive in responding to mental health concerns during the pandemic, there had been no response in New South Wales for increasing services or resources for services for substance use. There is a long-standing underfunding of treatment services and big recommendations around decriminalisation and investment need to be addressed urgently. And Nick would know. I mean, Nick he's in know. the middle of it, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. In response to questions, ta- in responses to questions taken on notice from Greens MP David Shoebridge, the New South Wales government revealed the total cost of the inquiry was $10.85 million. Quote, the report was delivered to the government more than 18 months ago and it called for fundamental change, not least of which was stopping police from aggressively targeting personal drug use as a crime, Mr Shoebridge said. Quote, a year and a half later and not one recommendation has been implemented. We now know that this whole exercise has come at a real cost to New South Wales taxpayers with the total bill coming in at $10.85 million, which is what we just quoted. The state government announced the Special Commission of Inquiry into Crystal Methamphetamine in 2018 and published an interim response in February 2020. That's two years later. The inquiry received more than 250 submissions, so there's a lot of interest out there in it. Recommendations included coordination of alcohol and other drug policy, decriminalisation, reframing substance use as a health issue and greater investment in treatment. At least five recommendations were rejected almost outright, including pill testing and another supervised injecting centre. The latest Criminal Intelligence Commission snapshot of Australia's wastewater shows that While people in capital cities are smoking less, consumption of alcohol, methamphetamine, cocaine, oxycodone and fentanyl increased. Data uh, collected in December 2020 revealed that across metropolitan areas, methamphetamine use outstripped regional consumption for the first time since April 2017. Causes of death data released by the Australian Bureau of Statistics last week found alcohol-related deaths are rising, increasing by 8.3% compared to 2019, or an increase of about 103 deaths. Which is what we were talking about before. Indeed. Data collected in December 2020 revealed that across metropolitan areas, methamphetamine... Oh, I did that. Director, I do that all the time. Director of New, UN New South Wales National Drug and Alcohol Research Centre, Professor Michael Farrell, said the New South Wales government's commitment to a response is well overdue. Quote, the dis- issue has been ensuring a good pathway of treatment in the community and residential rehabilitation for people who are methamphetamine dependent. There's a need to respond to families and partners are and partners affected by domestic violence. Dr Nadine Ezard, <coughs> Director of the National Centre for Clinical Research on Emerging Drugs, said statewide lockdowns, statewide lockdowns have meant fewer people come forward for treatment. 
and it's harder for people to access services. Well, if they're not open, how can you access them? Quote, this problem existed before COVID-19. There weren't enough places and treatment availability was scarce. Quote, it's shameful the response to the inquiry has been delayed for so long. Any response to the inquiry. It's understood that the New South Wales government is still considering the recommendations, but no further update has been provided as to when a response will be delivered. Uh, Isn't that another way of saying it's in the bottom drawer? Yeah, yeah. Or at the bottom of the pile and we keep on leaving it there. Yeah, It's shameful. It is. Well, I, I don't understand why. I mean, unless it is a, uh, it's like a, it's shorthand. Let's have an inquiry shorthand for let's not do anything about mm. it. Does seem that <laughs> yeah. way, doesn't it? We'll investigate it. And as long as we investigate it or are seen to be investigating it, it looks like we're not, we're doing something. The other point, Marin, is that um, in relation to the pandemic is that Whereas if you're on methadone or buprenorphine, you know, Karma was involved in developing policies that you can get. If you're in quarantine, the directions team, you know, can can, get a replacement drug. They can deliver it to you. But, you know, you you don't have to worry about not getting your dose. That's right. It can be delivered. But with methamphetamine. With opioids, methamphetamine, there's no replacement drug. Yeah. We even heard a professional basically saying, you know, oh, I heard anecdotally that dexamphetamine doesn't work as a pharmacotherapy for you know, ice users, you know. Who said that? Well, I better, so, I mean, I like, just, yeah. sorry, you, you said, was it a worker? It was a worker. Somebody in a professional okay, capacity yeah. that should know better. Should know better. And why can't we try, try yeah. that? I mean, yeah. it's essentially... Um, when know, in doubt, make a quote, make a statement that has no backup, yeah? No. Well, where's the evidence, no evidence. to support that, you know? Absolutely. There's been a number of trials and there's been a number of... Um, places around the world that have offered... Uh... Well, Jeffrey, 30 years ago, how long ago? 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I went over to England. There was an amphetamine uh, replacement trial going on in Plymouth or Portsmouth. I can't remember which. That's because my memory's lousy. I went down to see it. I didn't speak to any of the people on the program, but the nature of the program was that basically that they would provide amphetamine products to people who are amphetamine dependent Mm -hmm. as long as they didn't inject them. Okay. So, and I don't know how they went on that. I didn't know, didn't hear anything about um, any evaluation of the program, but it was an option that was provided. And I also know that where they had the first... Heroin replacement or not, yeah, heroin availability trial up near Liverpool. They also provided amphetamine, um, but didn't have any controls over what how it was ingested, right? That, but it was also an availability, and that was because of the way that health system was structured over there. You know, the psychiatrists ran the the local. Um, health services. Policies they had can policy be changed. Controls. Yeah, and, and I would have thought yeah. in a pandemic. That's where... right. Well, we have, we have what we have is a structure so that there is no control. No, there is delegation of control of you know decision making or implementation. But in the same way, it's actually absorbed up to taken back and taken back up to the top. And at the top, they say, no, don't do it. Therefore, 
what filters down is can't be done. Well, that doesn't work. No, it, it hasn't worked for 60 years, 70 years. Why should it work now? Exactly. Okay, let's um, get on to this. Uh, I'm excited about this story. It's a first international story. It's from the OttawaCitizen.com October the 5th by Senator Vern White, who used to be the chief of police in Ottawa. The whole community benefits from a safe supply approach to drugs. The subheading is reforming our policies on the use of illegal substances can not only save individual lives, but also help our neighbourhoods to thrive. Illegal drugs have been prevalent and a growing problem in Canada. And over the past 25 years, the use of opiates or opioids, methamphetamine, cocaine and its derivatives have been at a consistently high level across the country. During this time, the rise of fentanyl has had a devastating effect on people who use drugs. At time of writing, more than 21,000 people have died from preventable toxic drug poisonings, also known as fatal overdoses. The fentanyl discussed here is not the legally produced opioid that has legitimate uses, but rather the illegally produced kind. Criminal manufacturing has seen fentanyl used as an additive for other drugs to increase the effect or the value of those street drugs, or in the manufacture of counterfeit, quote, lookalike drugs emulating oxycodone and other drugs. Yeah, it basically it extends the uh, the li- the life and the toxicity level of the drugs. Well, you can top opioids. up mediocre heroin and add fentanyl, yeah. yeah, but it's but you don't control. You don't the, control uh, it. The, that's right. Well, the user can't control the quality, and therefore, like most street drugs, if you can't control the quality, the potential for overdose yeah, is high, increases. and that's yeah. what happened in the United States. Thousands and thousands oh. of users died. It was carnage. Uh, they're easily manufactured, uh, needing only the precursors or ingredients, which can be bought over the dark web. Additives for bulk, food colouring, and a pill press. Criminals have and are feeding a demand that may have begun with drug users looking for a replacement opioid from their heroin mainstay. But fentanyl has quickly risen to the front line the front of the line in the illegal provision of synthetic opioids across Canada. This has been a growing problem with the United States, Canada and the United Kingdom and other countries seeing dramatically increased use and as a result an ever-increasing overdose problem, culminating in around 17 deaths per day in Canada alone. This would be a national health emergency at any time, but is greatly magnified during the COVID epidemic, pandemic as healthcare tries to manage the pandemic while struggling to support this already difficult-to-access client group. Mm. Overall, Canada has responded to this by targeting the elimination of drug use, (laughs) the old prohibition failed tactic. (laughs) Often this focuses on different programs aimed at the person who uses drugs, not the community generally. But focusing just on the individual user sells sells short the wider impacts of some programs. A case in point is the discussion surrounding, quote, safe supply of drugs, which usually takes the form of alternative drug therapy or replacement drug therapy. Mm. Safe supply can replace, quote, street drugs, unquote, with a substitute that can help the individual through a public health model. It can reduce harm, ensure medical engagement or oversight, and provide a health response to a health problem. But an area that is seldom discussed and often overlooked is the overall impact that a safe supply program could have on the general public. When I worked as the police chief in Ottawa, I saw firsthand the impact of the illegal drug trade 
had on the community. Not just the drug trafficking itself, but the impact of that drug trade on the community as those affected by addiction participated in ever-increasing criminal activity to address their dependent substance use. To support it, I think. That's what they mean. But as the drug trade grew, so did the number of offences and community impact. When I met with residents in communities such as uh, Vania, Lower Town and others, citizens were clear they wanted less crime and a feeling of safety with less criminality in their community. So, in considering the provision of a safe, called safe supply, a secure or predictable supply of pharmaceutical alternatives to toxic street drugs, there is another positively impacted recipient, the community. A community will see less crime being committed as those who would have engaged in crime to purchase illegal drugs will not have to do so. They'll be receiving their drugs through a medical facility using public health model. Using the public health model. Of note is that Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police have come out in support of safe supply as they believe it will make communities safer. Wow, that's significant. It is big, isn't it? Saving lives is always the most important outcome of safe supply. But in and of itself, this has not been enough to persuade society to support drug policy reform. We must articulate other benefits in order to build supply to champion and support these ideas. And I think, you know, in between the lines, Geoffrey, basically what that's saying is saving drug users isn't enough for the community to, you know, support safe supply. Mm. It's not a good enough argument. We have to put a broader... We've got to make it personal. Yeah. You've got to make it the community will benefit, okay? And <clears throat> we've known that for a long time. Well, We've known the... that we that we are not of much value, yeah. yeah that sadly, we yeah. only because we are peers, we can talk to our peers over the radio, and that's why they listen and also take notice of education. The community couldn't give a damn. No. The community cares if the community is affected, personally affected, and that was why, you know, Bob Hawke made the availability mm. of methadone a broader. Uh, issue. And in fact, the national personal. campaign against drug abuse became a national issue because it was personal yeah. for him. Yeah. But then we come down to the community. If the community is not personally, individually affected, they won't change their minds. They won't cross the floor. They will not look at it in a different way. They will merely see it as an issue of. Um, Lack of self-control. Yeah, individuals choosing to... That's right. Choosing uh, yeah. choosing to not be safe or choosing yeah. to not control your behaviour. <clears throat> and that's a major issue. So, yes, I, I mean, that's really between the lines. This guy's I, very smart mm. and don't knock it by any means, but really it is between the lines. Make it personal. That way you make it important. Unfortunately, our uh, federal government, we can't find somebody no. to make it personal with no. because no. compassion is in short you know, supply. rare supply, yeah. short supply. Honesty or transparency, very thin on the ground. Forget about it. Absolutely. And, you know, the people that we would normally assume would be on our side um, and, you know, in a lot of times that's other drug users, you have to wonder... Whose supply? Whose um, side they're really on? 
I think the economic argument has to be pitched to the community. I mean, look at the US states that legalised cannabis and had money rolling in way beyond what they anticipated. But we thought that would work a long time ago. We tried to change it from making it not just a legal argument but introducing the legal – sorry, the financial aspect. Mm. That worked fairly well for um, HIV – Mm-hmm. But it really didn't hasn't worked in terms of legal availability. The financial benefits to uh, governments in making you know marijuana legally available has worked well in the United States. In Australia, not so hasn't much. Hasn't cut through. Yeah, no. No one wants. It's not a good enough argument. I don't know what is a good enough argument for this government. Well, unfortunately, the Murdoch media just hammers any politician that raises their head above to talk about any drug policy law reform of any, even no matter yeah. how minor. You know. But isn't the, is the Age not a Murdoch paper? Same by Channel Nine. I can't. Yeah, it used to be Fairfax. But yeah. Yeah. No, it's a. It's just an absolute nightmare. It makes me. You know, it's constantly. We keep trying to find new ways, new arguments, new um, issues mm. that we think will personally affect people and bring them out of the shadows and into a publicly uh, supportive attitude in terms of the stuff that we think will make a difference to the community or to our peers. Um, and then it seems that really it'll fall down to personal, you know, Personal intoxication or need to be intoxicated or choice. It's the toughest social uh, issue. I mean, I see it as fundamentally a human rights issue. But, indeed um, that. But uh, but even when you come to that as a human right, it's, it keeps getting pushed aside. Yeah, yeah? I agree. Um, I got some feedback by text just when we read out the Karma Mobile number. Um, somebody, you know, it's hard to write down phone numbers when you listen on the so radio. So they want to do it again. Yeah. I was going to say when you said that actually... It's zero four four eight three four zero nine four zero. I'll read that again. Zero four four eight three four zero nine four zero. That's the mobile number, and the office is six two five three three six four three. So um, thanks can for you, that. Feedback. Can you do the zero the zero four four eight one again? The mobile number because I'm trying to write it down. Okay. And zero zero four yeah four eight got that. Three four three four zero nine oh nine four zero four oh okay. It's that if I just figure if I can write it down at this then You've whoever's listening yep. then they can write it down at the same speed because I only got half of it. Yeah. So you got it now, you guys. <laughs> uh, thanks for that feedback. Yeah. Okay, I uh, had a request for uh, walk on the wild side, which I never mind oh, playing. Oh, great! Yeah. So no. here's Lou Reed. All right, it's 11.36am. Uh, you're listening to News from the Drug War Front with Jeff and Marion in Studio One at 2XX 98.3 FM People Powered Radio. And, of course, that was uh, the classic Lou Reed walk on the wild side. We've got a piece which talks about um, uh, the dark web and uh, the action by a mother to take on big tech. After yeah, it's her... a really interesting article. It's uh, just from the perspective that it comes from, yeah? We hear from... People who are on it, people who drive it, but very not very often from the relatives of yeah. people who've been subject to it. So, yeah, it's a good, interesting piece, Jeffrey. Sorry. I thought it was interesting. No, no, it's entitled Alexander Died from a Pill that he bought on Snapchat. Now his mother's taken on big tech by Carly Williams and appeared on the abc.net.au website October the 5th. 
When California teenager Alexander Neville uh, ordered what he thought were oxycodone pills from the social media app Snapchat, he was just days away from receiving treatment for drug abuse. His mother, Amy Neville, said the pill that he received turned out to be fake and was laced with fentanyl. Quote, Alexander took one pill that killed and that pill had enough fentanyl in it to kill him and four other people. She told the ABC, wow, the ABC's PM program. Fentanyl is a synthetic opioid that's been making its way into party and prescription drugs and is up to 100 times more potent than morphine. Alexander, age 14, died in his bedroom. His mother said his time of death was 9.50am and the rehab centre had called to confirm his place at the facility just four minutes later. Oh, and that is standard. Imagine is how that she would so standard, oh. Jeffrey? It's like I remember getting busted the day before I left town. You know, it just... It, yeah, timing can be awful, can't it? It's a bitch, yep. Ms Neville explained that her son had been open with her about experimenting with drugs and that he used the social app Snapchat to buy pills an app in which pictures and messages self-destruct after they are sent. Quote, Alexander was a big chicken. If it was back alley scariness, he wouldn't have tried it, she said. But the ease and the access and the fact that it looks so normal that these drug dealers are promoting that they have legitimate prescription pills, it just makes it way too easy, she said. A growing number of parents in the United States have lost children to an overdose after ordering drugs via Snapchat. Ms Neville counts 427 overdose deaths in Orange County alone. Wow. It's in LA, I think, Orange County. Yeah. yeah. Ms Neville has met with Snapchat executives and she is demanding that the company do much more to curb drug sales on the platform. Like many industries, drug dealing has evolved with new technology, but dealers are moving away from the dark web and anonymous cryptocurrencies and onto social media apps. In Australia, research by the National Drug and Alcohol Research Centre, or NDARC, showed 70% of young people surveyed used social media to buy drugs. A recent New Zealand study asked more than 23,000 people where they bought their drugs. More than 22% replied social media. More than half of those people used Facebook, 48% Snapchat, and 20% used Instagram. Marijuana is the most popular drug, followed by MDMA. 23,000 people in New Zealand. Who would have thought 23,000 people in New Zealand used drugs? Well, illicit, you know. It's a good point. I'm sorry. So put your hand up if you use drugs. Oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) Likely. (laughs) So, yeah, marijuana is the most popular drug, followed by MDMA, also known as ecstasy. Monica Barrett from RMIT University is an expert on drugs in digital society, and she worked on the study. She said drug trends in New Zealand were very similar to Australia. Quote, when we've talked to people about why would you use the apps rather than the dark net? They'll say, well, it's faster. I get to actually get the drugs quicker because it's an in-person exchange. Dealers will have these videos showing the drugs. They've got them opening packages or showing different aspects of what the drugs actually look like. The marketing by dealers on social platforms doesn't stop at videos. The location tool on Snapchat is used to send nearby potential customers menus that then disappear. Codes, certain fonts and emojis that customers know the account is used to sell drugs. One parent who lost their child to an overdose said it was as easy as ordering pizza. The jump from the uh, dark web to social media. The Uber Eats for drugs is different from dark net drug marketplaces, uh, such as the now defunct Silk Road, according to the social scientist Dr Monica Barrett at the Drug Policy Modelling Program, 
which is part of Australia's National Drug and Alcohol Research Centre at the University of New South Wales. On Silk Road, it wasn't just about drugs. It was actually about liberty in a number of different philosophical approaches that founder Ross Ulbricht or Dread Pirate Roberts had, she said. There was a book club. There was a harm reduction forum. It was a, more of a community vibe there. Dr John Ryan, who is the chief executive officer of the Victorian-based Pennington Institute, said there'd been a dramatic increase in drugs being sold and marketed on social apps. Quote, that's happened after the shift to mobile phones, he said. The biggest adopters of this technology are people in their teens and 20s, but it does extend to people in their 30s and 40s. Dr Ryan said it was riskier to buy drugs from a stranger on an app because it was impossible to know the purity of the product. Quote, there's been fentanyl laced with cocaine in Sydney, he said. If the fentanyl crisis travels here from the United States, Australia is not prepared. What are social apps doing is the next heading. Snapchat's head of communication, Rachel Rakusen, said the company was committed to finding and removing drug dealers from the platform. Quote, in recent months, we have continued to strengthen our machine learning tools for proactively detecting drug-related activity and work with the DEO or Drug Enforcement Administration and other third-party experts to keep these efforts up to date as behaviours evolve, she said. Snapchat's Australian law enforcement operations team provides data to the Australian Federal Police to support drug investigations. Cybercrime expert Richard Buckland from University of New South Wales said it was a tough balance. I don't envy the tech companies, Professor Buckland said. I wouldn't have, uh, want to have a law to say that whenever the police went to them to ask for data, they'd have to give it to them. But I do think the tech companies should have some skin in the game. There should be some cost to them that makes them strongly motivated to help solve this problem. America's DEA insists big tech isn't doing enough to rid the platforms of fentanyl-based illicit drugs. Snapchat is now running a target, targeted public awareness campaign educating users about fentanyl. But Ms Neville wants Snapchat and other social platforms to invest advertising money off-platform off platform on things like uh, billboard, billboards and TV commercials. She wants an external transparency committee to evaluate Snapchat's efforts with parents who've lost children to Snapchat drug dealers. With, with parents who've lost um, children to Snapchat drug dealers on the team, while Ms Neville will continue to push Snapchat to do more to curb the sale of drugs on the app, she says, taking on big tech can take its toll. <laughs> Quote, one night I was sitting there on my computer and a news article popped up about how Snapchat CEO Evan Spiegel had just purchased a $100 million home and how Snapchat had had its best year ever, she said. I looked up and a picture of my son was on the other side of my computer and I just lost my shit right there. I was bawling uncontrollably. All I can think is they've had their best year He's buying a $100 million home, but drug deaths are at a record high. Crime online is at a record high. How 
how is this not made on the backs of our dead kids? Well, she's right. That's what prohibition does. Absolutely. It's in. Um, well, that's the point, isn't it? I mean, for all of this, it still keeps on adding up to prohibition. And for all the sadness, you know, they keep on blaming the people that make the money and blaming the people instead of blaming us. Look at the systemic cause. Absolutely. Look at the system. Look at what's happening. Why is the community screaming? Why was your son using drugs in the first place, darling, you know? Yeah, it's always individualised, isn't it? Yeah, you've got to come back down to it. It's not about... It's about need. People need drugs for what they get out of them. It's part of the human condition, Marion. We've been taking drugs since we come out of the cave. Absolutely. Let's be honest. I think we were taking drugs when we were still in in the the cave. cave, You know, (laughs) if they were growing there, we would have. It's just a matter of thinking it through sensibly. When you take the emotion out of it, which our federal government's managed to do with everything, you actually and and come to the practical stuff, yeah. which may be economic or it may be you know philosophical or it may be legal. You everything adds up to it's stupid. Yeah, it to just me it's doesn't self, work. Self evident and always has been, but constantly. And how many times do you have to say it? These people wouldn't be making so much money, but. They'd be making, you know, they'd be making guns, or they. They'd be in some other business. Yeah, yeah. that's right. It's just. I know. I don't know. It, it totally dumbfounds me every week. We come up with these articles which are interesting and draw you in, but still the arguments behind what people are putting up as yeah. being their legitimate reason for being anti-drug. It still comes down to a personal, yeah. emotional yeah. issue. Yeah? I agree. It's so frustrating. All right, we'll play a quick, quick song and then we'll wrap up this week's show. This is uh, The Wall Bangers and Kick the Drugs. It's quite a droll little song. Yep. All right, that was The Wall Bangers and Kick the Drugs. It's 10 minutes to noon. And uh, I've got one last quick story um, from usnews.com, Robert Pryor, October the 6th. Uh, quote, breakthrough COVID more likely in people with problem drug or alcohol use. Drug and alcohol abuse increase, increases the risk of breakthrough COVID infection as well as severe illness and death amongst fully vaccinated people, according to a new study. Quote, first and foremost, vaccination is highly effective for people with substance use disorders and the overall risk of COVID-19 amongst vaccinated people with substance use disorders is very low. Study co-author Dr. Nora Volko, director of the US National Institute on Drug Abuse, said in an uh, Institute news release. She said it's important to encourage folk with drug and alcohol issues to get vaccinated and to acknowledge that even after they do, they have a higher risk of SARS-CoV-2 infection and must take steps to protect themselves. For the study, the researchers analysed electronic health records of nearly 580,000 people in the US who were fully vaccinated against covid between December the 1st, 2020 and August the 14th, 2021, who had not previously had COVID. 7% of those with drug or alcohol issues had breakthrough infections compared with 3.6% of those without substance use problems. Infection rates range from 6.8% for tobacco users to 7.8% for those with cannabis use 
issues. And I bet they couldn't get access to people with heroin use It'd issues. Be you know, tricky, I yeah. think it's actually a, an outreach problem mm. and um, a health access problem, I don't would, you? Yeah, I agree. No, think, knowing that it's a US study. Marginalised community. Yeah, okay. Let's finish it. Among people with substance use disorders who had a breakthrough infection, 22.5% were hospitalised and 1.7% died, the study found. The rates were 1.6% and 0.5% respectively among people with drug and alcohol problems, but no breakthrough infection. The researchers also found that risk of uh, severe outcomes after breakthrough infection was higher in patients with substance use disorders than in others. The increased risk of breakthrough infections in people with substance use disorders appears to owe largely to coexisting health conditions and poor health link to poverty, a poor health link to poverty, according to findings public, uh, published in October sixth, on October sixth in the Journal of World Psychiatry. Well, that's no major surprise, no, is it really, Jeffrey? Not poor, really. With no. overall poor health, yeah. yeah? Quote, from previous studies, we knew that people with substance use disorders may be particularly vulnerable to COVID-19 and severe related outcomes. A study uh, co-author, Rong Zhu, director of the Centre for Artificial Intelligence in Drug Discovery at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland. These, uh, quote, these results emphasise that while the vaccine is essential and effective, some of these same risk factors still apply to breakthrough infections, Zhu said in the release. Yeah, look, I think you're right, Marion. The, you know, the impact yeah. of... Underlying health issues has always been a problem for people in Australia. And also, <clears throat> if you think about it, I mean, have a look at the rate. I think the rates of um, vaccine or vaccination in users in the ACT is bound to be higher than other places because of the nature of the outreach yes. of the vaccination ban. Yep. Yeah, And that's, you know, the way you provide your service, the process of service provision is as important. You have to make it easy and safe. The yeah. fact of it, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Access to it is really important. Yeah. Well, of course, we know that, Jeffrey, but these people are thinking about how things are... It, it, it drives me crazy when we know where Orange County is and they still think that Australia is Austria. <laughs> you know, I mean, the United States blows me out. Yeah. The centre of the bloody world yeah. it is. They think Australia is Austria, but we know where Orange County is. You didn't have to tell me it was in California, Jeffrey. I knew, but, I mean, sure, yes, yeah. we say it to notify people, but they just... As, you know, the US is not the centre of the world, gang. It is maybe the only superpower left, but it's not brain power they've got. It's not super brain power no, that they've got. they've got this got. strange concept of no, American super... exceptionalism. And, yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I told you that story. Uh, I was told in a bar in San Francisco, once you leave America, you're in the third world. <laughs> 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 I nearly fell off my basketball. That's really nice. <laughs> I like that one. Makes perfect sense. So that's, yeah, that's the US. Well, that's like Winston Churchill, yeah. The United States will always do the right thing. The wrong thing until... No, no, they will all, no. United States will oh. always do the right thing eventually. <laughs> Oh, okay. After doing everything else. After they've tried all the wrong things several times. Yeah, good quote. 
All right, listeners, hope you found something of interest. Um, I definitely enjoyed that safe supply piece from Canada. I think that's Look, a great concept. And which I think we'll keep an eye anyway on Ottawa, at least Canada, to see how it impacts the whole of Canada yep. because it's a whole-of-country issue. But Ottawa in particular... Well, Vancouver's doing great stuff too. Indeed. and it's, uh, But the, I think they're doing it at a different rate and I think that will make a, a big difference to the outcomes. Yeah. Um, so I'm really pleased that what's happening in Canada is stuff that we can keep an eye on. We have a federal election coming up soon, gang, in case you were wondering. So get yourselves registered. We don't know the date of the federal election yet. Has to be what, mid next it's year? It's got to be by March or May yeah. next year, I think. So um, get yourselves registered. Um, it doesn't cost you anything to register. Um, and once you're registered, you're obliged. Yep, you're obliged to... Um, Yep. To vote. If you but don't that's vote, important. If you don't you vote, you can't bitch about it, right? Exactly. We will be back next week. Stay safe. Look after yourself. We love each, you. Yeah. Take care. I love you, Jeffrey. See you later. We'll leave you with the theme song, uh, Golden Brown. Bye. Bye for now. <laughs>